Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. I'm J.W. Cox, filling in for Scott Peterson, who's vacationing on the high seas. On this week's program, Capitol reporter Bill Werner dives back into the nuts and bolts of Governor Tim Walz's first State of the State address, after the first-term governor went unscripted to lay out his plan to keep the legislature out of gridlock. Then we go to downtown Minneapolis, where Mike Grimm is in the heart of the college basketball world, as the NCAA Men's Final Four tips off this weekend. Also, Tasha Radel has the story of a Minnesota family taking their tragic experience with lung disease and lung cancer to Washington, D.C. in a fight for funding for research. And finally, I look at a Minnesota partnership that keeps the grass green under the cleats of Minnesota's professional soccer team. But first... Will you please stand? The Sergeant-at-Arms will escort the governor. Governor Tim Walz this week delivered his first State of the State address to a joint session of the Minnesota House and Senate at the State Capitol. Eminence Bill Werner joins us to unpack this speech. J.W., we all know that top elected officials have often used the technique of shout-outs to bring regular people into their speeches. Minnesota governors have been no exception, Mark Dayton most recently among them. But Governor Walz, in his State of the State address this week, expanded that concept, weaving most of his speech around eight Minnesotans, Business people, a doctor, a dairy farmer, a mayor, a neighbor, and a World War II veteran, and retelling their experience in a high-stakes bid to reinforce his stand on major issues. Because the governor is a former teacher, let's start out with education. We've got a teacher here with me tonight. Amanda Field is here from Floodwood. Amanda is one of those people that we need in the classroom. Amanda grew up and went to Floodwood schools. She went off and got her teaching degree and went back to Floodwood to teach. But here's the problem. As Floodwood's demographics changed a little bit, the property tax base isn't big enough. And as Minnesota started to shift away from funding in the state formula to property taxes, it left communities like Floodwood, they'll go to a ballot next Tuesday. And they've made it very clear. If their referendum fails, they will consolidate classes, close programs, and lay off a quarter of their teachers. They have no other option. And we have the capacity to do something about it. And what these schools have said is they need to get 3 and 2% on their funding formula. We can debate that, and we will, healthy. But keep in mind, behind every one of the debates we have here are real people being impacted by them, real people. Now, some lawmakers during the governor's speech sported goal line three pins, a request that the governor decide not to continue legal action against Enbridge's controversial pipeline through northern Minnesota. And House Minority Leader Republican Kurt Dowd argues there's a connection between that kind of economic development and Minnesota's schools. A great way to provide more revenue for that school district would be for the governor to remove his opposition to to Enbridge Line 3. Uh, That line would go through that town and provide much-needed revenue for that school district. Kurt Dowd. Now let's move on to what could well be the most difficult issue on lawmakers' plates, health care. Deborah Mills is with me tonight up in the audience. Deborah is a, a dairy farmer from Lake City. Her family is the quintessential American and Minnesota dairy farmers. Three generations on the farm. They have about 280 head they milk. They raise corn for silage. Because of the way the system worked, and Deborah's playing by the rules, she does not have access to health care, so she has the stress of going without health care. 
Couple that with historically low milk prices. Couple that with catastrophic weather events. This is a proud family who works hard and prides themselves not just on working hard, but being tough. And then a day came a short time ago where Deborah knew she needed to make a really tough decision. And I can tell you the decision she made took courage beyond what you could only imagine. She picked up the phone and she called a mental health counselor and said, I am, I am at wit's end. What do I do? And the good news is there was somebody to pick up the phone. And Deborah started to come back from that. Now, again, I will leave it to this body and for us to debate where we're going to get to. But I think we could stand in agreement that all of our citizens should have the basic safety net, the basic security that comes with having access to health care so you don't get into a mental health crisis. We can agree on that. A message that the governor hammered repeatedly during his speech was, as the only state with divided government, Minnesota needs to be different than Washington, D.C. Let's write our own story. Let's write a new story how this can end. Let's do this in a way that others can look at and say, that's the way out of this. And let's do it because Minnesotans, we've always done it before. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka does not disagree with the governor on that. I want Minnesota to be the state that actually solves health care. Why not Minnesota be the one that leads to solve the answers for all other states? But Gazelka and Walls differ sharply over the solution. Republicans say a free market system will reduce health care costs, while the governor says single-payer Medicare for all is his goal. Now to another thorny issue, funding to repair and upgrade Minnesota's roads and bridges. And this is my, my neighbors, uh, the Ingmans. Mary Ingman, her two sons, uh, Ben and Jake, are here tonight. Their wonderful sister, Katie, is, we'll get her back from Washington State. And I had the privilege of not only teaching Mary's children, I had the privilege of coaching Ben. And I remember it very clearly. It was a Friday in December back in 1996, and in walked in two state troopers with Mary. And she'd obviously been crying. And it was at that point that Ben found out and we found out that her husband, Charlie, had been hit head on on Highway 14 and killed with three young children. That same highway has killed 145 people in the last three decades. It is the most dangerous in Minnesota. And so I say this with candid and bearing my heart to you. My passion is not to pick a fight with you about transportation. My passion is to make sure that what the results say when we've got D-rated roads, that we do something together. And I will gladly have the debate with you and a compromise to find how we do that. But here's what I'm telling you. In the 23 years since Charlie has died, that is still a two-lane dangerous road, and the time has passed to fix them. We can do that. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka responds, lawmakers did fund upgrades to Highway 14. We did that with bonding, uh, and we are open to spending more money on bonding, specifically towards roads and bridges. If there's projects that are not getting done, we want to get them done. Republicans argue if the rest of state government is run effectively and efficiently, there will be more than sufficient funds to upgrade Minnesota's roads and bridges, and without the gas tax increase that Governor Walls is pushing for. And back to you, J.W. Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? 
A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There is a hometown storyline in the Minneapolis Final Four. CBS Sports reporter Jamie Erdahl, a Minnesota native, is covering the weekend in a variety of roles. She sat down with Eminem Sports Director Mike Graham at U.S. Bank Stadium to discuss. How does it feel you're back in your home city uh, covering the Final Four? It feels pretty amazing. Um, I'm actually in the process of moving back home, so within the last month I've brought my car, my dog, my clothes, all back to this place where not only was I looking forward to the Final Four being here, but now I really can call it home once again. And similar to how I felt about the Super Bowl last year, it's just eerie having all these familiar faces and and people I adore and work with on a daily basis in your backyard, which I think is a really cool feeling. You have done so much. Um, Kind of give us uh, uh, your background in terms of where you started and how you got to where you were. I know you were basketball and softball player at St. Olaf and then on to a TV career. Exactly. Well, I grew up in Bloomington. I went to Breck uh, for high school, middle school and high school, and um, went on to play those two sports at St. Olaf. Realized I wanted to do television when I was at St. Olaf. And while, you know, I really love playing those sports, I wasn't going to make it to the WNBA coming out of St. Olaf. So I realized I needed to maybe stretch my limits a little bit. I went to D.C., uh, graduated from American University, and um, came back to Minnesota because that's really where I had established my network. I had internships at Fox 9 and and, uh, CARE 11 and uh, what formerly is 1500 ESPN. So I came back and and worked those connections to the best of my ability. Uh, Jim Peterson connected me with Fox Sports North and I was on the links the summer after my graduation from college and I kind of went from there. I went to Boston and then on to CBS and and now I get to work with guys like Wally Zerbiak, who just like who just walked up, which is a total Minnesota dream, I know, for a lot of people. But yeah, now it's all come full circle. You um, have done a lot. What will you be uh, doing here this weekend now? So we have a lot of extra coverage on CBS Sports Network, which is fantastic. Um, the games are obviously on CBS Saturday and Monday night, but Sports Network really is the place where people can come to get that in-depth analysis, both pre- and post-game, those extra interviews. Um, on Friday, we're on the air for the practice show. Saturday, it's two extra hours after the game for post-game interviews. Uh, Sunday, I host an all-women's talk show on Sports Network called We Need to Talk with um, Swin Cash and uh, just kind of looking at Minnesota and how the Final Four is going on here. Now you get the assignment of the sidelines a lot, and then that means post-game. So I have to ask you, um, when emotions are high like the tournament, you also sometimes have to interview a coach who has just come off of a loss. Is that one of the harder things you have to do? It is hard. You really have to tap into your natural conversational background and not just we're doing this for TV, but you're also talking to a human who just experienced a pretty devastating loss in their careers. Um, 
that's the thing about the tournament, you're right, is that high stakes, high demands, high emotions, and sometimes you just have to let the microphone hang there to allow them to get their final thoughts out in the open. You know, it's not the time to break news, it's not the time to, you know, be the person that really gets the sword in there and spins it around, you know. It allows that losing coach to have that final message to fans, players, peers, uh, to really summarize their season. What has been, in your time now in TV, maybe your highlight or two uh, over your career so far? Well, my first Vikings game coming back here when I was still in the NFL was pretty special. You know, I was able to bring my dad and, you know, I, I had come, you know, to the Metrodome at the time so many times as a child and, and like I said, my career really started here. So to, to come back and see Don Mitchell and see Dave Schwartz and Eric Perkins and all those guys, um, was was pretty amazing and then my first NCAA tournament at CBS was in Jacksonville and it was when the Georgia State coach fell off his stool when his son hit the game-winning shot that still stands out to me as one of those like top five career moments so and then to come full circle I was back in Jacksonville again five years later for the tournament this year so it's these little things that pop up you know the little memory pings that really make you appreciate what we're doing. Do you have a pick? It's a pretty, I thought, attractive Final Four. I know some people thought no Duke, no Kentucky, no Carolina, but uh, four pretty good teams. Do you have a pick? I don't have a pick yet. I think Texas Tech is playing some of the best basketball. Michigan State's always dangerous in early, you know, in early April, whatever we call it, March Madness. Um, I had Auburn coming off of the Elite Eight. I think they play a pretty unique style of basketball in terms of their speed, but also their ability to hit the long-range three. However, they're running into a Virginia team that pretty much it's like putting a, a hand grinder into a cookie dough. Like, it just stops their game. So I don't know who's going to prevail in terms of Auburn speed or Virginia's slow style. But if I had to pick... I'll go, I can't deny Izzo, another national championship. It's always fun watching you. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. More Minnesota Matters following our own halftime break. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A St. Paul woman whose family has experienced firsthand the devastation of lung disease and lung cancer heads to the nation's capital to fight for life-saving research funding. Eminem's Tasha Radel has more. Thanks, JW. Coming up on Wednesday, St. Paul resident Renee Marrero will join other lung cancer survivors, caregivers, loved ones, and advocates from every state on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. to unite their voices against lung cancer and urge members of Congress to take action. Renee, before we get uh, talking specifics on Lung Force Day, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved uh, with the fight for lung cancer? Sure, sure. Yes. So um, basically what happened is in the span of 15 months, three out of five of my immediate family members were diagnosed with lung cancer, um, including myself. So in 2016, in the fall, my sister, who was 47 at the time, uh, never smoker, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, then in the spring of 2017, my dad, um, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and he unfortunately passed away six weeks after his diagnosis. Um, and then based on that, um, you know, I don't meet the screening criteria. I'm also a non-smoker, um, but because of my family history, I pushed for a CT scan and found that I had um, some nodules, which were eventually removed and diagnosed as lung cancer. And I, I couldn't even imagine, uh, you know, all three of you uh, going through this. And, and when you I guess, look at this fight against uh, lung cancer when it came uh, to treatment and different uh, medications. Uh, w- was this easy, I guess? 
No, I mean, it's very difficult. Again, when my sister was diagnosed, you know, we, like most people, don't, didn't even think about lung cancer. She was a non-smoker, and you're just not even sure. So you really, what she really had to do and what I had to do, and with my father, have to be your own advocate um, and really learn and understand, you know, um, you know what your treatment options are and, and make sure that, you know, everything is stayed on top of. Um, there's many instances my sister you know, really had to push for some additional scans, and each time they found something that, you know, they wouldn't have found and caught early enough um, to kind of keep, because she's still living um, with stage 4 lung cancer, which unfortunately has a very low survival rate. It's about 4%, I believe, for a five-year survival rate with stage 4 lung cancer. Um, so she's, you know, doing everything she can um, to make sure she is one of the few that now is living longer with lung cancer. And when we talk about lung cancer, this is a really personal story. My mom actually uh, has stage 4 lung cancer uh, uh, right now as well, and my mom's brother, before the age of 60, uh, passed away from lung cancer. So this story is very familiar. I, I, I can really yeah. relate to it. And yeah. I, I, I think one of the frustrating things oh, when my mom was diagnosed was just realizing how lung cancer was so under-researched. Did you feel yeah. that way at the time as well? Oh, yes. That was a very frustrating. And that was the first thing, you know, as I started researching, that's kind of my thing. When I have a face with something, I want to understand as much as I can. And, and yeah, you do not hear about lung cancer. And it's the number one killer, uh, cancer killer. Um, you know, more than, you know, prostate, breast, colon cancer combined, you know, die from lung cancer. And so not knowing and being aware of it, and then also on top of that knowing that it also isn't getting the funding um, that is needed. You know, it's getting so much less funding based on the you know, number of deaths from lung cancer than the other cancers. And we know that in order to treat something and to get, um, you know, improve treatments and, you know, understand how to catch it earlier, you, you need research. And so that's why, you know, I want to be involved in any way I can to, you know, advocate for more funding um, and to make sure that, you know, they further understand the different aspects because they get hung up on smoking, which is, of course, an aspect of it. But, you know, that's not the only answer. You know, we need to understand why, why, you know, some people get lung cancer and don't. You know, not every smoker gets lung cancer, but it is obviously a high percentage. They just, uh, it's just very frustrating. And so that's why, yeah, I'm very um, passionate about making sure, you know, whatever, if this story, you know, that we went through is going to make a difference, you know, that's, you know, every voice is going to make a difference if we, you know, keep getting the word out there and make sure people are aware of it. And another thing, too, uh, when, when you're out on the Hill, uh, will you be talking about, I guess, the cost of prescriptions? I know my mom, when they went from private insurance over to um, when they retired, um, her Tarsiva, which is for 30 day supply, was $10,000. And we just couldn't, they couldn't afford that, uh, you know, switching over. And so, you know, it, with all these different drug patents and that things, uh, have, have you heard any stories to that effect? Oh, yes, definitely. That is one of the major factors of it because we are getting these, you know, amazing treatments, you know, to help, um, you know, again, extend and, you know, the lives of these, you know, lung cancer patients. But, yeah, like you said, if there's not affordable, who's going to be able to, you know, maintain that? And so that is a very big um, part of what we need to do is make sure those treatments are affordable. So that is definitely one of the big asks we will have as well. Talk about the Affordable Health Care Act and, and making sure insurances are covering, you know, pre-existing conditions and that, um, you know, people that need this treatment can get the treatment. So tell us a little bit about your visit uh, in D.C. Uh, what kind of goes on while you're out there? 
Sure, sure. So this will be my first visit. Um, but basically, you know, we'll meet together, um, kind of go over, you know, with the other advocates from the other states, you know, what our asks will be and, you know, what our um, discussions with the different um, representatives will be. And again, the main focus will be about more research funding overall for cancer, but of course, more, you know, on lung cancer specifically, and then also, you know, affordable health care. And so um, just really meeting with the other, um, you know, lung cancer heroes is just, you know, a really inspiring, you know, opportunity and just really share our stories. Because, again, I think that's the key is to get all of our stories together and just keep making sure this is heard. And then, you know, the next day is going to the Capitol and meeting with the representative. Thanks again to my guest, lung cancer survivor Renee Marrero of St. Paul. Thanks, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters next. Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver? This one, Dad? Uh, no, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Uh, because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter. Why? I love you. <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. All right. Now pass me the new filter. Why? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Take time to be a dad today. For more information, dial 1-877-432-3411 or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Next week, the Minnesota United soccer team will play their first game at their brand new St. Paul home, Allianz Field. I got a chance this week to get a sneak peek inside the stadium. It's more than just the lawn care equipment that's fired up at Allianz Field in St. Paul these days. With the home opener for Minnesota United FC less than a week away, head groundskeeper Ryan Moy can see the finish line to a quick but busy early spring. You know, I think we're really just excited to uh, what how we tie in what we do and what we've been doing for um, you know the last six months in preparation for April 13th. Uh, how does that tie into the, not only the fan experience, uh, but the, the playability for the team as well? Moy says the timing of the beginning of the Major League Soccer season presents the biggest challenge to those like him tasked with presenting a high-quality natural surface, though this year Moy admits they caught a break. Our opening match is on April 13th which uh, we feel very fortunate that that uh, is, is, is the case. I think in most other years we'll be looking at uh, a March opener. Um, so if, if you were to ask me this question a year from now, I, I, I will likely say, I'm very confident in this, that that would likely be the biggest challenge, is opening up in March and having this uh, fan experience be what it is and having this pitch be of uh, the quality that it should be to, to, to host them host a match and for for our team to uh to play on a surface that they're proud of another plus moy has in his favor mn united's partnership with a minnesota-based company toro company dp brad hamilton says they're proud of their partnerships with teams in their own backyard our job really is to work behind the scenes and to help you know that's what we look our help our customers so to watch ryan moy and his team get this field ready to play through a fairly difficult Minnesota winter, and the turf looks like this. I just walked around on it. 
This is fantastic. Toro is a multi-season company. We make tools for snow and leaves and grass and all kinds of stuff. So we probably do help in our own way. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, the, the local turf professionals, you know, in this case, uh, you know, Ryan and his team or others, you know, their job is to take care of their property and our job is to help them with whatever uh, work tools we can, uh, you know, provide them to get the job done along with some expertise and support. It's just exciting to be, you know, a small part of a really big success story like this is going to be. So I'm proud of, of Toro for doing our part and helping that out. Moy echoed the neighbor-like convenience of his work with Minnesota-made Toro. It's absolutely phenomenal. We were just talking about it this morning. Um, they're neighbors, you know, and, and that alone is, you know, something that uh, most organizations don't have the luxury of, of operating that facet. So, you know, when, when, when there's some tweaks uh, or some changes or any demands that, that we need from an equipment standpoint, it's like calling up a neighbor. You know, and the and the response time is is incredibly quick. As for the red cutting machines and sports, Hamilton says that's a history that goes deep, especially with soccer. Toro's roots are truly in sport, in sports in general. I mean, our, our way back a hundred years ago was golf was kind of the the sport we founded or, or founded us. You know, that was our key first sports. But between Major League Baseball, NFL football, uh, professional soccer now. You know, that's kind of been who we are for years and years and years, and our soccer relationships go back years, you know, preceding the Minnesota United Loon back through the Thunder days. The Northern League of Soccer, which was many, many, many decades ago, we even had an employee who was involved with forming that. So it's kind of in our blood. Sports is in Toro's blood, and our, our products are designed to help sports turf professionals. And so anytime we can be a part of something like this, especially in our own backyard, you know, nothing better than that. This week marked a big signpost in Moy's road to game readiness as the team got their first chance to work out on the new surface. Moy says that provides an opportunity to fine-tune his masterpiece at the base of Allianz Field. There's a very intimate relationship. Um, you know, you have some intense communication about what the players' needs are, what the coaches' needs are. Um, and then, then you look at your own toolbox and see how you can uh, respond to those. Uh, I embrace that aspect. It's, it's great to get real-time feedback. It's great to, to watch your team play on the surface that you've been preparing for for so long. And, you know, I've always compared it to a sound engineer. You know, we have the ability to tweak all these different components of of the product that we're trying to deliver. And so when we have these uh, intimate interactions with constituents of our club, we get to control these different knobs to come out with the product that is specific to the needs of our team. From their standpoint as partner, Hamilton says it's impossible to choose which local team's field is a favorite. It, it is. Well, it's yeah. There isn't a favorite because they're all different. But when you see something as cool as this one, you can, it makes me proud. I can tell you that. There's nothing better than when your friends or neighbors or relatives go to a, a sporting event and see the results on the field and see a piece of Toro equipment and just know that a local company like Toro is here being a part of a great result like they're achieving. That just makes you proud to be a part of it. For Moy, there will be a brief time of reflection and relief after the opener, but his business is far from complete. When that event, you know, that that last whistle goes, I think there's going to be a moment of speaking to what what you just said, where you have, you know, you have a sigh of relief, but then you also are are thinking about what's your next move. It's always it's always part of the world. It's it's the world that we operate in, so that's nothing new for us. The United have one more road game in New York this weekend before they officially open Allianz Field with its carpet of Minnesota-made and manicured fresh green grass on April 13th. 
that will do it for this week's Minnesota Matters. Scott Peterson will be back in the host chair next week. For now, I'm J.W. Cox. Thanks for listening to Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.